Well, good morning, and we are finishing up uh, our, not our series, but our section on foolishness, avoiding foolishness and applying godly wisdom. And there's a lot of foolishness during Christmas time, a lot of trappings, a lot of things that we focus on, and we miss the joy of the Lord. We miss the peace that surpasses all understanding. We miss that great gift, and we don't really enjoy it. And that's really the, the truth. The more we enjoy our Savior, the more we enjoy Christ, the more we love to give. It's because that's natural, because we are patterning ourselves after the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is the ultimate giver who sacrificed Himself for our, meet our greatest need to take care of our sin. And if, and if we don't enjoy Christ, if we get so focused on the things of the world, we miss that ability of giving and enjoying the Savior. We identify with our Father. If we, if we identify with the Father and He is truly our Father, we become like Him and we see Him and He sees us as Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. We enjoy the fact that He paid for our sins, that we identify with Him. And the more we identify with Him, the more we act like Him. And that's where the peace, the joy, the light of the world, all the things that we sing about our Savior comes into play. We live in a very foolish world, and it's why in Romans chapter 12, uh, God says, um, tells us, right, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We follow and we pattern ourselves after the world. We find that we are stepping into lakes and puddles and streams of foolishness. It's very easy to find foolishness. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, he says, uh, don't love the things of the world because they're just going to be burnt up. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be gone. We find all over the Old Testament. And in fact, in the end of Ecclesiastes, he tells us that one day the things of this world are just going to be gone. They're going to sprout up like a flower and then they're going to be trampled and the, the wind is going to blow and, and it's going to wither the flower and it'll be gone. If you've never been to a dry desert, you don't know what that's talking about. I was in Israel in, in the, in going towards Galilee and the Golan Heights and that nice, you know, hot, deserty area. All of a sudden, overnight, sprouted all these flowers, turning the hills, so many amazing colors. And of course, if you know me, you know that flowers just get me excited. Uh, I love flowers. Um, I'm weird. I love animals. I love butchering. I love great barbecue. I love hunting. But I love flowers. Uh, every time I go to the, the, over to the Robin's house, he's inviting me into the house. And he's like, oh, you know, he's apologizing that his flowers are overgrown. And I'm just sitting there looking at them. And I'm like, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> but I have to stop and look at the beautiful creation of flowers. And I would stop and I would look at the flowers and we would go up to the Golan Heights and we're up there and we would come back the next day and the hot wind of the arid desert would blow through and the flowers were gone. One day there, next day gone. And it's like, 
And a couple of the Israelis, they were like, I hope you enjoyed the flowers because they won't be here until next year. One day, and he says our life is like that when we value the things of this earth. It's just like a drop in the bucket. It's here. We value it. it, it, it all, all the riches and all the things of the world look great. And then they're gone. But only the things of the Lord will last. He is the greatest treasure. And that's where we're at as we look at, we talked about why avoid uh, foolishness. Why is being, you know, focusing on who's a fool, what is a fool, and what is wisdom? All of Ecclesiastes up to this point, Solomon's been talking about all of these things that he tried to find meaning in life, all the things that he thought were, would bring wisdom to his life and would be great, and yet he found it was a foolish pursuit that was meaningless. Maybe you've found that out in your life, that you pursued something so hard and you thought that it would give you great meaning, only to see it just disappear one day and realize all those pursuits in life was meaningless. I've seen it over and over with family members who've raised millions of dollars by working hard and thinking that they've arrived once they made millions of dollars, only to see it completely wiped away by inflation and wiped away by the stock market and wiped away and just gone one day. It's come and it goes. And they were devastated. But here's the thing. Our riches are not found in the things of this earth that can be destroyed. That's what we're, as we're looking at this and, and we look at how to deal with these things, we want to talk about how do we apply God's wisdom in our life why is it so important to focus on God's wisdom versus the wisdom of the age that turns out to be foolish? And so we're going to look at some of these things. We'll go over last week, and I'm sorry I don't have a PowerPoint for you, but I'll go over our notes clearly so you can fill them in. But let's pray. Lord, as we read Ecclesiastes 10, I pray that it would be a blessing and help us to understand the things that are difficult Help us to use our ears, not so much just the physical ears, but the ears of our heart, to let the things go through our mind and down into our heart and to, to take these things for what they really are, your nuggets of truth, the wisdom that's important for us to understand, how to live our life, not to pattern ourselves after this world, but to pattern ourselves after you. Lord, may we find your wisdom, the wisdom that comes from you, wisdom that never changes like our shadows change. Lord, wisdom that brings peace and comfort and joy, that, Lord, produces the fruit that comes from you, that we might know you. As Paul said in Philippians 3, I pray that that would be our greatest desire as a church, that we would treasure you so much. In Philippians 3, that he says, that his, he agonizes, that his life, he put all the things of the world aside. Anything that he would gain, he counted it as garbage compared to the wealth and of knowing you. So Lord, I pray that would be our greatest desire in that you would teach us how foolish it is to follow the things, the empty things of this world. So allow your word 
to encourage us and instruct us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1, you know that it talks about dead flies and the perfume, talking about just one drop of foolishness can destroy wisdom. In verse 1 he said, Dead flies make the perfume ointment to give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left or to the side of dishonor. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of a rule rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler, and that is this, folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in low places. So folly is put up in high places, and yet those that are really rich in wisdom sit in low places. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits log is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, that's iron of an axe is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he will use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man, man's mouth wins him favor or is gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, uh, though no man knows what it, it will be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool worries, wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land! When your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Though sloth, through sloth the roof sinks in and through indulgence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. So the fool thinks, <laughs> even in your th thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell this very matter. Wow, in, in all of chapter 10, we can look at our life in many different facets, some of you have probably thought, as you read some of this, applies to the political correctness of our day, the folly of political correctness, or in the way that we're being led. Some of you might be thinking of the way that we see the things going on around us. Some of you may be thinking about how we talk and how we act. Really, in all of this, we see foolishness and wisdom. Foolishness is used so many times in these 
these very verses in this chapter. You know, really, the fool in Webster's Dictionary defines a fool this way. A fool is a person who acts unwisely or impotently or imprudently, a silly person who's just, his life is filled with silliness and is meaningless in a sense. They're silly, but there's nothing to grasp onto. In the Hebrew, they define the fool this way. In our text, it defines a fool this way. If the fool is as not only the one who hates knowledge, as we see in Proverbs, but also the person who takes no pleasure in truly understanding, but also as one who displays a defective moral character. He takes sport in doing things that are mischievous, in taking sport in doing things that is filled with mischief or doing silly things. And they, they make silly and, and evil things as good things always joking about those things that aren't really good, but are, that's what we would call coarse jesting or joking about things that aren't really good. In the Hebrew, they also talk about the fool in this way. Is a, he takes not only sport in doing things that are evil or being silly, but also displaying things in their life that are filled with dishonor. A fool leads to more folly, so that his heart proclaims folly. He actually magnifies things that are foolish. And the mouth spouts it out. They talk about it openly. They don't care if it seems foolish. It starts to flow out of their mouth. Their heart is filled with treasuring the foolish life, so much so that it just starts spewing out of their mouth. Hebrew, Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible uh, in the Old Testament, the Talmud, uh, in Jewish Hebrew context, they talk about fools. They warned people about foolishness because foolishness causes one to repeat mistakes over and over and over again. They never fix their mistakes. They just keep repeating it over and over. In fact, in Proverbs, they talk about it. Foolishness is like a dog who continues to return to his own vomit. It means that he eats something that's foolish that makes him throw up, and then he eats it again, which makes him throw up more. And he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And they talk about defining a foolish person as one who always creates strife. He ultimately, eventually creates so much strife that he destroys himself. We see that going on today. Proverbs 29, verse 9 says, If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet in his life. It's pointless to argue with a fool. In fact, when a fool starts to argue about things that you know is foolish, you shouldn't even argue with them because it just goes on and on. They just rage and they're to only laugh at what you talk about. They don't see truth. There's, no, there's nothing that's true. They don't even enjoy truth. In fact, their soul, it says that the fool's soul is not quiet. It's always in turmoil. And therefore, he always argues about his life. Sounds kind of familiar. People always arguing about how life should be better. Focusing on all the external things 
but never truly, truly dealing with the state of their soul and the state of their heart. Proverbs 15, 14, by the way, probably Proverbs 14 is Solomon talking the most about foolishness. We could read all of Proverbs 14, but in verses 5 through 9, it says, A faithful witness doesn't lie. They focus on the truth. But a false witness breathes out lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain. A foolish scoffer, one who scorns truth, literally says that they're pursuing wisdom, but it's just vanity to win arguments. But knowledge is easy for a man of understanding or wisdom. Verse 7, leave the presence of a fool. Don't continue to follow after a fool. Don't, so don't only don't keep arguing with a fool, but leave the presence of a fool. Don't get caught up in it. For it says, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. There isn't words of truth. You need to leave them in their foolishness. Focus on truth. Go towards wisdom. Don't stay with the fool. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. The fool will always be deceived. They will always struggle. They will always have a hard time. In fact, verse 9 says, fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. The fool throws repentance and the ability to be forgiven by God. They throw it back in the face of God, it says. But the upright, the wise person, loves repentance, loves to be forgiven by God, understands that God is our Father who loves us and forgives us and restores us. And so we become, those that are wise, open up their life to the Lord, but not so the foolish. They just mock the guilt offering or seeking repentance from the Lord. We saw in verses 1 through 4 of, of chapter 10 in our text of talking about avoiding the fool, Solomon describes the fool this way, and that was a little foolishness will ruin wisdom. Why do we avoid foolishness? Because it doesn't take much foolishness to destroy Wisdom, right? A little fly and a little ointment will destroy the perfume. Foolishness is an issue of the heart. It's lodged in the heart. If the heart doesn't change, the person remains foolish. The fool is easily identified by everywhere he walks. The fool thinks that he can hide his foolishness, but it's plain to see everyone around him. That was in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 10. Verse 4, the fool lacks patience, isn't driven by pride. As soon as his boss or the, though that who is, his, has authority over him ridicules him and says things that, and he, that he doesn't like in his pride and he says, I'm better than this, I don't deserve this, walks out and doesn't take care of his responsibility. He runs. He's quick to use his mouth to say evil things. And that's where we talk, where we find Solomon begins to talk about wisdom and foolishness together. 
And so we see these principles for applying godly wisdom. And this is where we start to fill in our notes. In verse 4, we see the very fact that he says, again, if anger of a ruler arises against you, don't leave your place. For calmness will lay great offense to rest. We talked about this a little bit. But how do we apply wisdom in this sense? If we're not prideful, if we're, we're looking to the Lord and we're dealing with our sin, we're not going to be focused on how good we are and we're not going to be offended by somebody else's sin and how they rage against you or their anger of a ruler or somebody who's in authority over you. Number one, the wise person will not abandon his responsibility. A person that's wise and that is driven by godly wisdom is going to stay at his post. Proverbs 12.18 says why. 12.18 says there is one whose rash words, rash or quick words, are like sword thrusts. They just pierce the heart and they hurt people. They destroy people. They kill the relationships. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. If we patiently and calmly wait, wisdom will prevail. So the wise person doesn't just throw the responsibility aside, doesn't abandon them. He actually is patiently and he keeps focusing on his responsibility. In this text, um, the word abandon, or in ESV it says, do not leave your place. Literally in the Hebrew is talking about abandonment. It refers to one leaving or deserting your responsibility. That's why it's important that we are patient and we wait. A wise, that's what a wise person does. A foolish person responds. He, he, he doesn't respond in wisdom using the wisdom from the Lord. He reacts to his emotions. He reacts to all the things around him, his circumstances. But yet a wise person, because of their love for the Lord, being seated in the identity of God, he knows who he is because of his love of the Lord, because Jesus has paid for his sin. It's not, he doesn't have to be good because he knows that Jesus is his good. And because of that identity, he patiently waits for things to calm down and he uses his words to heal the relationship. Number two, in applying wisdom and using God's wisdom, we see in verses 5 through 7, it, we, it's kind of an odd, poetic uh, wisdom passage. And, and in these poems, it's sometimes hard to understand. But we, it's talking about these evil and the times of rulers and authorities and that things are twisted and upside down. We see this idea of the second point is this, that the wise person realizes that a position or authority, whether it's seeking a position or a position of authority, is not always determined by merit and worth. As you look out at those who are in positions of authority, you say, how in the world did they get there? They're so foolish. I can't believe that's the person that's in authority. Right? Sometimes the most foolish people make it to authority and those who are actually rich in wisdom, that's the context here, 
are just slaves. Folly here in this context is the rich sitting in a low place. It's also describing as Solomon seeing servants on horses. Those who should be servants are really sitting on the horses in a place of authority. Horses were only reserved for those who were going out to battle or for kings and people who were rich. These things that should have, this should not have been taking place. No servant should be on a horse. Right? And yet that's what we see. We see these very same concepts being taken place in our society. Why? Why are these things like this? Why is, why is Solomon telling us in, in verses 5 through 7 that he's seen folly that is being set in these high places of, rule, of ruling over, and yet the rich in wisdom are sitting in the low place? Why is this the way it is? Proverbs 19.10 gives us the answer. As nice of a Solomon is giving us the answers to all these things in the Proverbs and the wise sayings. He addresses this situation and he says this, Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a slave to rule over princes. This is folly. This is foolishness at best. Here we see that the fool thinks of their foolishness as riches. They think they're the foolish things and that they, they think it's the wisdom. In fact, we see it all the time. And, and Solomon's giving us the exact same reason why a lot of us hate all the freebies in the world. Just keep giving. Every, everybody deserves everything. They don't have to work for it. Just give it to them. They deserve it. And that's what Solomon is saying, that they're, they're the foolish things of this world. But the wise man, the man who seeks to do what is right, becomes rich in the right way, not just getting things based on foolishness. It's, they're rich in spiritual godly wisdom. They're rich in the knowledge of God. They're rich in Scripture first. And then God blesses the man with wealth and riches, basically supplying all of his needs. This is what Solomon is saying here is, is that Folly is when a person is allowed to promote bad moral conduct or wickedness or sensual wantonness, greed, lust, not only in himself, but also in the freedom of others to do the same things or worse. We're seeing that today, that the foolishness of promoting that. He does not want... Um, the foolish man does not want to understand the way of God. They don't care. That should sound familiar. Why should a ruler or a person in authority not... Why shouldn't they rule this way? Why, why are they being so foolish? Why is it foolish to be merciful to those who are being foolish? Why is it foolish to hand out money to those who are being foolish? Well, he goes on to say in Proverbs 14, verse 24, he says, The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of the fool is folly. Basically saying that for the foolish, their riches are in foolish things, not in wisdom. 
And basically, he goes on to say that they're never going to seek the wisdom that you're trying to give them. They're just going to trample it in foolish ways. Here we see that a fool thinks of their foolishness literally as riches. A fool thinks that his foolishness is richness, is what Solomon is saying. So we don't look at power and position And we don't look at it to determine merit and worth. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ because He determines our worth. That's how we apply wisdom. We apply looking at our real worth is not in the foolishness of this world. In Psalm 112, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist says this, Praise the Lord. Praise Him. Thank Him. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Right? He says, His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generations of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness will endure forever. Praise the Lord. Where are your riches? Are they found in the things of this earth? Are they found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, in verses 8 through 10, we see uh, five illustrations to make one point. It's nice of Solomon to give us some illustrations, but the point is this. A wise person takes proper precautions during daily labors. Basically, think before you act, right? I don't know if you can see it, but think before you cut. I tried to cut my finger off this week. I was butchering one of my pigs. Found out my sharp knife was so sharp it went right through a bone. My finger was on the other side of that bone. (laughs) So I found, be wise. You know, think, what is the path of the knife before you use the knife, right? Of course, I always do that, but I got in a hurry and didn't think about that. Solomon is saying, A wise person actually thinks things through and he finds success. A foolish one does not. Think before you act. In verse verse 8, he who digs a pit will fall into it. If you dig a pit and you're not paying attention, guess what might happen? You fall in. Have you ever dug a pit and then turned around, forgot where you were, took a step and boom, went right in? Yeah, of course, I've never done that, right? I, I mean, hey, I fall upstairs, so I probably don't fall into pits. But, but he says, think for it. You can have incredible energy. You can have incredible gusto. You can have perseverance. You can go out and dig a massive pit, but stray away from the edge, and you might fall in and break your neck. Avoid the perils of your own work. Be wise as well as energetic. If you're clearing the stones from an old wall, be careful. There might be a snake in there, right? I'll never forget. Every time I went to the stone wall at Grandma's house, Grandma was always saying, hey, there's snakes in there. Be careful, right? Look before you grab. When I was doing uh, rock climbing and rappelling training and down in the Mojave Desert, down in Joshua Tree and other places, they were always, 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 always Look before you grab. Look before you step, right? Because there's rattlesnakes. And I lived in Oklahoma, and we went to 
to camp, right? All the counselors had 22s on their side. Uh, this is a great camp. Can I get a gun? <laughs> and all the counselors, they had guns because we had copperheads and rattlesnakes and water moccasins. I mean, everywhere you stepped, there was a deadly snake. I was going to take, I mean, and it was, I mean, you know, those of you that lived in some of these areas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, there's a reason why you have open carry in Texas and Oklahoma and, you know, it's because you shoot lots of snakes and scorpions and other nasty little things. The idea is the wise person thinks things through. The folly just has lots of energy and runs around and gets himself in trouble. The foolish person puts all their emphasis in their strength and how good they are, and they wear themselves out. This talks about the fact that a, a logger, right? It, it, he can be really energetic. He can have lots of muscles, but if his axe is really dull, he's not, he's not going to get a lot of work done. There's a proverb somewhere in here. My mom always used to tell me, it's like, you, because I used to carry, like, right? I would be the guy that carried all the groceries in in one shot. And then I'd be like, oh, man, I'm sore. <laughs> and my mom would always tell me, taking multiple loads is wiser than taking everything at once and being foolish and hurting yourself. There's a proverb that actually talks about that. The wise man takes his time. The foolish man uses all of his strength at once. That's what Solomon is saying here. If the, in verse 10, if the iron is blunt, the one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed in life. We need to use God's wisdom. God's wisdom helps us into everyday things of our life. It helps us to be satisfied. It helps us not to be wanting. It helps us not to fall in pits. It helps us not to be bit by the things of the world. It helps us to use our strength more effectively. Rather, if you've seen those that use godly wisdom, they tend to live longer. There's a reason why. There's a reason why I have a bad back. I didn't listen, listen to all those wise sayings when I was younger. I tried to use all of my strength to prove I was good when I was younger. Did not end well. Still praying for that. This truth is mentioned in Psalm 9, in verse 15 and 16. It says, The nations were sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they laid, their own foot caught. The Lord is known by the judgment He executes the wicked is snared in the work of their own hand. The foolish person is caught in all of their works of their own hand. Not so for those that love the Lord. Number four, in practicing wisdom, why it's important, is a wise person controls his tongue, his speech, by using gracious words. In verse 12, the words of a wise mouth wins him favor. Literally in the Hebrew, it says, the, the wise words of a man are gracious. They bring forth grace. The word gracious is the one which refers to speech that continually contains words and continually uses words 
that are favorable, that are good, that are beautiful, and especially that are from God's perspective. Just like Ephesians 4.29, where it says, only use words that build up rather than words that tear down. A fool will always use words that build himself up but tears other people down. A wise person will always use words to build up people around him and don't care about building himself up. Now think about that. Who is a wise person going to reach for when he starts to fall if all he does is build up his life? He's going to have no one to grab for, for help, because he's pushed everybody down and he's elevated himself. A wise person elevates everybody else, and then when he needs a leg up, he has many hands to pull himself up. God says, godly wisdom is to build up people around you. Use your speech to be gracious, to build up one another, to help one another. Psalm 37.30 says this, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom or uses wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. In fact, look at the end of verse 12. It says, but the lips of a fool consume him. A foolish person uses speech that only consumes. A fool is the opposite. Rather than building people up, he tears people down. The word consume means that the fool is the one who uses words that devours and destroys both himself and those around him. This is a direct context to a wise person, right? In verse 13, a foolish person is foolish from the very beginning. He's, he's using words to build himself up from the very beginning. A foolish person then is a person who speaks wicked things. He's always excited about wicked things. He pursues wicked things in his speech, wicked jokes, wicked things. Right, But that's not the wise person. A fool magnifies himself and minimizes God. Ultimately, a wise person, in the fact that they use gracious speech, what they are doing is they're maximizing their relationship with God. The reality here is, is that the fool minimizes God. why Solomon is saying is that's what this fool does. He multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be in verse 14, and who can tell him what it will be after that. In fact, I mean, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 12 that we will be given, we'll be held account for every single idle word. That means every word that we just flippantly say or even under our breath. Sometimes, right, we talk about people under our breath. Like, we'd be ashamed if people hurt us the way we talk. Right? The beginning, a fool multiplies words though no man can tell. A fool is always talking about evil madness. A fool uses speech that is persistent, that never quits. A fool doesn't even know how to keep his mouth shut, right? I'll never forget. I had a guy, I was driving 
on a road and I went to turn left and I went to turn left and a guy turned right ahead of me. He turned right, but then he decided to come back after he turned right, he decided to do a UE and he came back right through and he decided to go left and he was about ready to hit another car. And I had a big, big uh, truck and so I used my bumper and I pushed him right off to the side because he almost hit this car head on. He, he, was, he basically was going to hit me in another car. And, and the first words out of his mouth, he just he got out and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I've been working a double shift. I worked all the way through the night and I just was so tired. And he was just apologetic, apologetic. And, and he's like, you know, and all this, his whole side of his car was just demolished. My bumper was bent. <laughs> the great, that's why I like big trucks. <laughs> so my, my bumper was bent, but then he, he went home. He took off, and I was, there, the, the, I was there, and the police came, took my statement. I diagrammed everything that happened. You could see the, you could see the marks from his tires and everything. You could see the marks from my tires. Everything matched up, and... And the police, as I sent in my statement, I get a phone call a few minutes later after giving my statement to my insurance and the police from the man's wife. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry what happened. Hey, I just letting you know, I mean, we are, I just realized our insurance lapsed yesterday. We didn't renew it today. Can you hold on and just say that the accident happened tomorrow because I'm putting our insurance back on? And all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, hey, I just let you know, I'd love to help you, but I already, I, you know, I can't do that. that. First of all, that's being false. But I said, I already sent in all my statement and everything when the police showed up and all that kind of stuff. She got mad and hung up the phone. About later on that night, a police officer showed up at my house claiming that uh, a hit and run had happened. And all this time, the woman was texting me. And talking about all these things, and I was texting her back and just asking questions, and she kept talking. She wouldn't shut up. And the whole time. And she had talked about, you know, would you just work with us with the insurance and all this kind of stuff? And she kept going on and on and on. And I just kept asking her questions, and I just didn't, I just knew something wasn't right. So the police officer showed up, he looked at my truck, and he just laughed, and he goes, There's nothing wrong with your truck. And I said, I know. And he goes, but their car is totaled. The whole side of it's gone. I'm like, yeah, they were going to hit another car, push it out of the way. Here's a report that I already submitted. He looked at it, and he goes, wow, this is really detailed. And I said, yeah, and, and all this. He said, this is what the, this woman is claiming. And I said, that's funny because she wasn't even there. He's like, really? She acted like she was there. And I said, no, she wasn't there. It was just the, the husband. This is what he said. Okay. And let me show you. And he goes, why? And he goes, oh, yeah, she just texted again. And he goes, you shouldn't be talking to her. And I said, oh, it's okay. Let me show you. And he read through all of it. And she's like, she's committing felonies. She's falsifying reports. She's and she's admitting to it in the text. And I said, I know. I figured if something happened that all of this would be useful. And she goes, he goes, wow, you never responded to her. You just kept asking questions. I said, I know, you never make a statement, just ask. <laughs> Can you, why are you asking this? Or why, why is this important? Or I just kept asking, and he, she's, he's like, wow. 
He's like, can you text, can you send me all of those texts? And I said, sure. Never heard from her again. She was arrested for making falsifying reports. And she, because of felony to, to claim false insurance and all that kind of stuff. And making false reports to insurance and to police is, is a felony, actually. So anyway, so we, uh, so that was the end of that. But that's what a fool does. Keeps on talking. A wise person controls his speech and uses very kind and gracious words. Rather than getting upset at this lady, just being kind to her and just feeling bad for her and her husband, losing her their car, and being always gracious ended up being wise in the end. A fool magnifies himself, minimizes God. A wise person uses his mouth to magnify God and to minimize himself. A foolish person is ignorant of the future. They act like they know the future, and yet they don't know the future. It's always amazing, right? We've seen this last two years. They keep claiming the future, and I keep telling you that's not going to be the future. They say, do this, and, and the virus will be, it'll be fine. And I'm like, don't believe it. It's not true, right? Just because you get the shot doesn't mean you're safe, right? I'm not saying that because I'm anti-vax. I'm saying that because it's true. It's a virus, right? It's going to mutate, right? So you treat and you use wisdom in treating sickness. You don't trust in everything that they say right? Foolish people act like they know the future. Don't believe that, right? A wise person once remarked, it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? (laughs) Number five, in verse 15, a a wise person disciplines themselves for work. Verse 15 says, the toil of a fool worries him is worrisome or worries him, for he does not know the way to it. So he doesn't even know how to go home. Work is so, he doesn't even know which way is home. He doesn't know how to find help. A foolish person is so worried about doing the right thing. It's so hard. He, doing the right thing is the worst thing ever. And yet he can't even find help. A wise person is the opposite. They're disciplined. They focus on work. They focus on self-discipline. The labor of a fool is so hard. The fool has no desire to work. That's what he's literally saying. For when they do, they quickly become tired. And they can't see the forest from the trees. They can't find their way to comfort. They don't even know how to go back to where they would find comfort and peace in their life. Psalm 107, 4 says, Some wandered in deserts, desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Basically talking about the Israelites when they refused to do the work that God called them to. When they said, he said, go in and take the land. I've given it to you. I will give it to you. Just go in and take it. And the spies said, no, there's giants. It's too hard. Right? And so they wandered. They didn't even know how to go find peace and rest. Peace and rest was before them. All they had to do was a little work 
in trusting the Lord, work always brings true peace and satisfaction. Number six, a wise person uses wisdom in leading others to solve problems with discipline. A wise person uses verse 16 through 19, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. What it literally means is that they, they feast, they party looking for pleasure and food. They use food to cover up all the problems. It's a truism in Hebrew. This is a truism in Hebrew saying that they use uh, all the food and they use all of this to find fulfillment. They use appetite and parting to cover up all the foolish things in their life. In these verses, Solomon informs us that some leaders try to solve their problems using pleasure by using food and drink. The first priority of a bad ruler is to fulfill all their appetites and desires. We see that now. It's like, every, you know, rulers giving in to everybody and feeding everybody's appetites and desires. Here's the truth of what Solomon is saying. If you go down and, and he talks about that in verse 17, he says, Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. And your princes feast at the proper time. They feast for strength and not for drunkenness. Basically, food is for activity. Food is for activity. Right, Donald? (laughs) We had this discussion last week. Food is for activity, not for inactivity. Food isn't to eat and then sit and do nothing. Food is actually to fuel your life. We eat to live. We don't live to eat. One who controls the very base appetites of their life, right? Their discipline, their self-discipline, they can control their appetites and they eat properly, can control all the other areas of their life. Blessed is the land when, when we, the basics of their life, they use wisdom and self-discipline. In verse 18, Solomon shares another memorable proverb. It says, though, right? He says in verse 18, although sloth, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indulgence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. The, the slothful, the foolish person thinks money is the answers for everything. They're slothful. They sit around. They should be out fixing the roof, but yet they just sit and eat and do nothing. He's supposed to be out doing the work, taking care of things, providing for others, providing for whom he's responsible to, but that's not the foolish. A wise person is self-disciplined and leads others in self-discipline to solve the problems of their life. This is where real godly wisdom comes into play. The foolish person says, give in to all your appetites. Feed your emotions. Feed what feels good. Feed it. And all it does is destroy your life. But the wise person says, no, I'm going to control that. The godly person says, I'm going to feed my life with the things of the Lord. I'm going to be self-disciplined. And they train others. Happy is the land. Peaceful, 
filled with great wealth is the land who can control their appetites. Number seven. Oh, by the way, in verse 16 through 19, we see that all over. But in Isaiah 3, the Lord announces that he will judge his people in Jerusalem and Judah by removing the mature and experienced and the noble and the influence and replace them with the leadership of children and capricious children at that, who will bring an oppressive government. Basically, he's going to take all the wise rulers and he's going to replace them with mere children who actually become oppressive. By the way, in 1 Kings 12, that was Solomon's own son, Rehoboam. Verses 10 through 12 of chapter 12. Such a situation comes to mind. Rehoboam rejected the wise elder council and he replaced all the wise elder council with all of his friends. Rash, insolent young men. And it split the kingdom forever. And we be, then we got the Samaritans and we got right the other Jewish population split in half. Right? Wise person... Saul's problem with self-discipline, looking to true wisdom that comes from the Lord. Number seven, a wise person maintains a good attitude towards leadership. Did you notice it didn't say, tell all those rulers that are foolish how stupid they are and that they're wrong and that you're right? And No, it says have a good attitude. It didn't say, by the way, that they were all good and that you need to you know, that you need to feel good about your rulers. Didn't say that you need, but you know what? God uses all authority and all rulers, right? For God's own good, for his purpose. A wise person, verse 20, did you notice what it says? Is Even in your thoughts, that's even before it comes out your mouth, right? Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom. This is where it kind of hits my heart a little bit. <laughs> I was like, wow, God, you threw a dagger at me, right? Because sometimes there are things that is more easy for me to say, right? <laughs> when nobody else is listening. Like, this is really stupid. And, uh, and I go on this rant. And I let it all out. And it's like, oh, did I really just say that? Ah. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. It'll be known to everyone. Right? A wise person maintains a good attitude towards, towards leadership. Turn to Acts chapter 23, and then look at this illustration. In Acts 23, I don't just want to mention it. I want to actually us to see it together. Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin, before the council, before the other Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul used to be a Pharisee, right? He knows the inner workings. He knows all these things. 
Solomon said, maintain a good attitude towards your leadership, right? Romans chapter 13 says, honor them. Paul told Timothy, pray for those that are in authority and leaders over you. Pray often, he said. Look at verse 1. He says, Paul is before the Sanhedrin and, and before the Pharisees and Sadducees and looking intently at the council. Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Basically saying, everything that I've been saying about God, I stand right in good conscience. I'm not, nothing hurts my conscience. And the high priest, Ananias, because of Paul talking about the gospel, because Paul taking the authority away from the Pharisees and Sadducees and putting it on Christ, because of what he'd been preaching back in chapter 22, Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, right? How, you know, have anybody said something that was wrong and you get flicked in the mouth? That's what happened. Right? Don't tell on yourself, Kedra. <laughs> so, yeah, you get, I've been flicked in the mouth. I remember telling my mom she had a bad attitude. That didn't go over very well. <laughs> I got my first and last split lip. <laughs> I was in the car. My mom was driving. I didn't think she could touch me. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what did I just say to her? (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) uh, Anyway, never talked ill of my mom after that. (laughs) But right, so Ananias, strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed walls. Whitewash Walls was talking about basically tombs. He called them a bunch of tombs of dead people. Wasn't very kind, was it? Look what happened. He goes on. <laughs> I, like the, I, I like that Paul, by the way, he's spiritual when he talked rashly, right? He was spiritual. He said God was going to do it. <laughs> Not him, right? That's how we... Sometimes spiritualized things. Oh, God is going to just destroy you. Right? We get really mad at people and we throw God out out there. But look what happened. He said, are you, and he goes on to tell them, are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck. Verse 4, those who stood by him said, would you revile God's high priest? Basically, would you speak such words, unhonoring, defiled words to God's high priest that God had set up? That's, notice they said God's high priest, this is who God had allowed to be in authority. Look at Paul's retraction. Verse 5, Paul said, I, do not know, I, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Wise person maintains a good attitude towards authority, towards leadership. 
Sometimes, as believers, we too quickly throw out unwise words, foolish words, in how we feel about authority. By the way, this is not saying that you obey all authority and that you just unwisely just accept everything that they say. It's saying still we should have a good attitude, not driven by emotion and wanton and and lusting after desires that we want, but that we should desire the Lord himself more than we desire the things. I think it's so easy, especially today, to have bad attitudes towards authority. How can we say that we love God and yet don't honor those that he's put into authority? It's easy to dishonor authority. God says he ordained all leadership. Think about that. This one kind of hurts because it's easy for us to disagree with authority because we want to agree with God's authority. But if we agree with God's authority, we will be wise in how we think and talk about the authority around us. Are we truly sitting here living for this day and age? Or are we living for God's kingdom? A little discomfort today, is that really going to affect our life for eternity? Three keys to wisdom this week. You can apply. I'm going to narrow all of these notes down to three things. Guard your speech. Right? James chapter 3. James chapter 1, verse 19. Think before you speak. Right? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Wins every argument all the time. <laughs> right? Work hard. Don't focus on how you feel. Don't speak against leadership. Instead, pray for them. And as you pray for them, God will help you honor them. Right? It's not easy to honor evil people. Because I'll tell you, there are people in authority that are evil. God knows that. It doesn't surprise him. He's in control, not them. Right? They will be held account for their evilness. But here's the thing. What is your goal? Is your goal to honor them or is your goal to honor God? Because if you honor God, you will honor the authority that God allows to be in your life. Guard your speech. Work hard. Don't speak evils against the leadership. Honor them instead by praying for their salvation. Ultimately, reality is if we don't have Christ, we're going to be a fool. A fool says in his own heart, there is no God. In Hebrew, literally, this is what it says. The person, a foolish person, lives his life like there is no God over them. They can do whatever they want. Are you living your life like you can just do whatever you want and never have to stand before God and pay for it? Because you will. Stand before God 
and give it account for your life. And if Jesus hasn't applied his gift to your life, right? We don't earn Jesus. We are not good. We are evil. We are sinners. But God sent his son to die for us. And while we were yet sinners, right? He died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift. Has God, have you responded to God? Do you understand what he's offering you? A gift received is a gift enjoyed. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. I don't earn gifts. They're given. God saves us when he died on the cross for our sins. Will you respond to that gift? Or are you going to still say that I can live however I want and there is no God? Sometimes believers live that way. They've responded to the Lord. They know that God has saved them, but they're still living their life their way. You've got to ask. You've got to absolutely ask and make sure, are you the first that has never responded to God? You know God here. You know that God exists. But in your heart, you've never laid down your life before God. Romans 12.1, right? Beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your, he's merciful, waiting for you to lay down your life as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, you had to kill an animal to be right with God. Now Jesus died for our sins. All you have to do is lay down your life. It's no longer about you and, and God applies his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, your Lord, and it becomes he is now in charge of your life and not you. Have you laid down your life before God? Because once you do that and you really believe, that means you put full faith. That's what belief is. It's not knowing. It's putting full faith in Christ. Then it goes to your heart and it changes your life and your relationship with God changes. And you actually have a relationship and you love your father. You confess to your father. You don't play the part of the fool anymore, chasing after all those things that are going to die. Right? Like my big truck this morning went out and it was dead. <laughs> it's like, oh, I hope there's no water over the road. If there wasn't. An hour later, all the robins were telling me, man, did you drive through the water on the way to church? Like, nope. <laughs> I prayed and drove my little truck. <laughs> Hopefully there's no water when I drive home because <laughs> my little truck weighs nothing. It'll float away. <laughs> but that's the way we live our life. The things of this world will just float away. But the things of God will remain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this special time. Lord, I pray that we would learn. This is a sombering message about the fool and it's easy to see some of ourselves in this foolishness. Sometimes we see ourselves as being persecuted by the fool, and sometimes we actually ridicule the fool. Lord, help us to have wise speech, speech that elevates people and not tears them down. Ultimately, Lord, it's our desire that we are known by the light that we shine, the light of Christ that he lights the way, that our speech would be filled with graciousness that would build up people towards God, not the Tower of Babel, 
but, a, but lives changed for eternity that live with you. Lord, I pray that if anyone here that have not given their life to you, that have not responded, laid down their life and picked up Christ, that, Lord, you use the Spirit to make them alive to the truth and save them this morning. That they would call to you and realize that they're a sinner, that they need you to save them from their sins. We deserve death, but by the grace of God, you gave us the perfect sacrifice through the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Thank you for coming in such a humble way as a baby to live this life, ultimately to die for us. And Lord, help us to live within that wisdom in the short time we are here on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.